comes from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning, um, uh, first of all, my name is John Duff. I'm the assistant pastor here at Centenary. If you don't know me, our lead pastor, Chris Morgan, is on uh, bereavement leave. And uh, uh, over the past three weeks, this is the third week, I've been uh, kind of speaking on uh, grief and, and lament and sorrow in our life. And so today, we're talking about suffering and our formation. And yes, um, I decided to put Star Wars in my sermon. So, subtitles. Don't be like Darth Vader. I've been, I've been working on, I want to get Star Wars in my sermon some, so it's fun. Anyways, um, but with that, uh, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, we need you now. We ask that you'd come and be with us and offer us the comfort of your spirit that you may lead us and shape us, that we may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy in the next with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I remember being an eight-year-old boy, uh, May of 1999, uh, this movie, The Phantom Menace, Star Wars Episode 1 came out. One of my best friends has his birthday in May, and so we decided, he decided for his birthday, he wanted to go see the movie, The Phantom Menace. It's one of the, it's a great movie, a lot of fun, has a great fight scene with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon versus uh, Darth Maul, one of the coolest fight scenes in Star Wars uh, saga. But one of the main uh, points of the movie is to introduce you to this character, Anakin Skywalker. And at the time of the movie, Anakin is just a little boy. He's probably like 10 years old. And he's here, uh, he, he knows that he's, becoming, he's going to become a Jedi and train uh, with Jedi Masters. But at, at the end of the movie, you're left with Anakin. And, and we know, as, as if you know the Star Wars saga, that he becomes Darth Vader. But at the end of the movie, he's not there yet. And he's just, you know, this 10-year-old boy who seems to be innocent and sweet. So as the movie wraps up, you're, you're left with Anakin here, and you're like, okay, so how does this little boy end up becoming Darth Vader? So, so the next two movies kind of show you uh, the pathway that he takes to the dark side, and one of the first big steps that happens in Anakin's life has to do with uh, grief and suffering, and so Anakin's mom gets kidnapped by the sand people, and Anakin is so frustrated with this, he goes around and, and he finally finds her, but he finds her and she's on her deathbed, and, and so she dies right in front of him, and he has so much grief and anger about this, and he doesn't know what to do with his pain, and so he lashes out, and he kills the whole village of sand people, which obviously is a little bit dramatic, but you can see how this is a step toward evil that Anakin chooses to to lash out in his pain and suffering. And then the next kind of big step is in, in the next movie, Anakin is having these dreams about 
his wife Padme, and she's dying in his dream. And Anakin can't stand thinking about living life without Padme. And so he's searching, he grasps for control, and he's trying to control his life so much that when the Senator Palpatine, the evil uh, Sith Lord, says, Anakin, if you come to the dark side, I can help you stop this. I, I can keep this from happening. And so he eventually turns to the dark side uh, but, and, and becomes Darth Vader, but he ends up not being able to stop this great grief from happening, and his wife dies anyways. And so he becomes Darth Vader, and he chooses to allow his suffering and his pain to turn him to the dark side, and he lashes out and causes pain for so many others around them around him. And maybe this is a, a little bit of a dramatic example. You know, it's su- supposed to be. But, but maybe you know someone who is in your life who has experienced deep, deep pain and suffering, and, and they've chosen to kind of just lash out at others. Instead of dealing with the pain, uh, they, they've chosen to allow it to turn to corrupt themselves as well. And they lash out, and they hurt others around them. And in the midst of this context, we get our our scripture from today. And uh, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And to that, uh, most of the time when I read this, I say, James, okay, yeah, right. Consider it pure joy when we face trials, when we face pain and suffering in our lives. Yeah, right. And I have a couple of things to say about our, our scripture today. And the first one is this, that if, if, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, then this absolutely does not make sense. If Jesus is not the king of our lives, and if we are not submitting to him, then, then what James says here doesn't make sense. But if Jesus is Lord of our lives, then we better pay attention, and we better hone in and see what James has to say. And it's interesting, uh, he uses the, this word, consider it pure joy. And so, so when he says consider, this, this word is actually not an emotive word, so it's not about feeling. It's not, uh, you should feel joy whenever you suffer and have trials. That's not what James is saying. Rather, this word is actually somewhat of a mathematical word, and, and sometimes it's, it's translated, count it all joy, right? And so, in, in essence, what James is saying is measure it up, like take a T-chart and put the pros and cons, and, and what James is saying is that if you do that, eventually the pros, if you are under the lordship of Jesus, might outweigh the cons of the trials that you face. And we still would say, okay, James, well, why is that? Like, it still doesn't make sense, and thank goodness, he gives us the purpose cause. And so why? Well, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So he's saying these, these trials can be a good thing in your life, if you allow God to shape you through it, and it will lead you to maturity and completeness. And this word that he uses for mature and complete is the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, be perfect or or be complete, be mature, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so James is talking about the benefit that suffering plays in our life in, in the realm of spiritual 
formation, how we are formed and shaped. And so, uh, I w- just a side note on this, uh, I get super excited to talk about spiritual formation. It's kind of some of my nerdiness. Pastor Chris is a little bit of a nerd about the Old Testament and ancient languages, you know, and he gets excited about that. I get super excited about our spiritual formation. And so what uh, spiritual, the questions that spiritual, our spiritual formation asks us are these questions. What type of person am I becoming? Or how is this event or action forming me? So the great author C.S. Lewis says that every event or action that, that we do is either shaping us and twisting us a little bit to be a more heavenly creature or it's shaping us to be a little bit more of a hellish creature. And this is a spiritual formation. And so one of the truths of life uh, that's really important for us to know is that God has an agenda for our life, right? God has an agenda for me and you. And a big part of that agenda is that we would become like him. Not just that we do certain things, but but we become a certain type of person that, that is like his son, Jesus Christ. And as Methodists, uh, we kind of characterize this picture of Jesus, and we label it holy love. And so if our formation asks us the question, am I becoming a more loving person? Is love flowing out of me and out of my relationship with God to others? Not just am I doing loving things, but am I, do I actually have a deep, deep love for others because of my relationship with God. Formation asks us the question, am I a peaceful person? Am I at peace inside myself with everything that's gone inside my life, gone on in my life? Am I at peace with others around me, not because I just avoid conflict, but because I choose to work through it for the good of myself and of others? Am I a patient person? Is the smallest little annoyance going to set me off track for my day, or, or can I bear that and be patient with others? Am I joyful? Is there real joy flowing out of my life and out of my relationship with God? And so when I talk about formation, I often like to compare it to kind of uh, the idea of ethics and, and where ethics comes in. So ethics asks the questions of, is this action right or wrong? Is what I'm doing right or wrong? Formation uh, goes a little bit deeper, and formation says, how is this shaping me? So for an ex- easy example is if I'm watching a movie that has, you know, a, a lot of curse words or profanity in it, I-, I could ask the question of ethics. Is it right or wrong to watch this movie? And, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but formation goes the, n- the next step and says, okay, but how is this and how is letting these thoughts come into my mind how is this shaping me? Is it, is it helping me become a more loving and kind and caring person? Or is it shaping me more to be a negative person, a complainer, and someone uh, who is uh, not like God? And so these are questions of formation and ethics. And within the realm of formation, you can kind of ca- characterize uh, two it into two parts. We have our active spirituality and our passive spirituality. And these are uh, kind of uh, what not necessarily used a lot in modern language and, and what we speak about today, but through our Christian tradition, authors and, and writers have written, uh, written about active and passive spirituality a lot. And so to explain this, I, I would uh, I kind of made a 
chart, and uh, what happens in our active spirituality is it, is it feels like I'm doing things. In our passive spirituality, it feels like things are being done to me, right? Active spirituality, it feels like I'm taking initiative in my life and building my life up. Passive spirituality is it feels like I can only respond to things going on around me. And I want to note here uh, for sure that I'm using the word feels like important uh, on purpose here, and it's important to note this is kind of just emotionally the way that it feels. Theologically, uh, we absolutely believe we're saved by grace. We're made holy by grace. Only God can do that work in us. But this is kind of just two categories of of what it feels like. And so on the active spirituality, we think of our spiritual disciplines in in the life of a Christian. We read our Bible, we pray, uh, we go to church, we give of our money, we fast, all these different spiritual disciplines that we can do to build up our faith and our spiritual journey. And then in passive spirituality, uh, these things include things like suffering when bad things happen to us and, and letting go of control in our life. And so often in our lives and in the life of uh, a Christian, it's, we do all these things, the spiritual disciplines on the side of active spirituality, and, and we grow and we want to grow, but so often we reach a plateau, and we kind of are like, okay, how can I grow more? And then something negative comes along in our life, or something horrible happens. And it's only through trusting God in the midst of that that we grow and, and we break that plateau. And so in our our passage today that Jill read, that was uh, the earlier passage, Uh, this is Jesus talking to Peter and talking about Peter, absolutely. But it's also somewhat of a map for our lives and our spiritual journey. And Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish. Notice the active language. You did this. You took control of your life. But when you grow old, You will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. After this, he said to him, follow me. So in the the second part, it's, it's passive language. Things will happen to you that you have little control over in your life. And I point this out because it is... It is often that uh, when we are young, part of our our life and our relationship with God is about building up our life. And and we do things to grow closer to God. We also do things like go to school, uh, try to get good grades. We set up our career, make a name for ourselves, you know, become a a mature adult. And and these are the things that we do. And and it's really sometimes only till later in life that we, (laughs) things start happening to us that are outside of our control. And we realize that I have less control over my life than I thought I did. And I'm definitely going to places where I did not plan or want to go. And so here's the deal. Sometimes we have, we have problems in our life that we try our best to work through and, and try to solve problems. But sometimes these things that give us great pain have no solutions. And sometimes for the pains of our life, we search for external answers. But what is really needed is an internal submission to God, to our problems, and to what God is doing in our lives. Maybe you're uh, the woman who's always wanted to have children, but for some reason, uh, it just hasn't happened. And every Mother's Day comes around and you feel this deep loneliness and sadness. And maybe God is asking you 
to come to him in the midst of that. Maybe you're a parent who's, who wants to have, you know, the perfect kid and you're trying to control them, trying to help put them on the right path, but they keep choosing the wrong way or going different ways than you would want them to be. And, and maybe the solution is, is not to try to control, but to, to release control and to turn to God in the midst of that. Maybe we've had horrible things happen to us that we could not have controlled. Divorce, being cheated on, or even abuse. And I'm not saying we just passively lie there, but part of our relationship with God is coming to grips with that and saying, well, that is part of my story. And in the midst of that, I will turn to God. There's a guy, a uh, Christian writer by the name of Jean-Pierre de Cassades, French. He was around a little bit before uh, John Wesley was in the 17th century. He wrote a book called Abandonment to Divine Providence. I, I read a few years ago, and he has this quote in it. It's a beautiful quote. He says, it's kind of lengthy, so just stay with me here for a sec. Would to God that all people could know how very easy it would be for them to arrive at a high degree of sanctity. He says it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but those are his words. Arrive at a high degree of sanctity, what he means is holiness or becoming like Jesus. They would only have to fulfill the simple duties of Christianity. So think reading my scriptures, praying, going to church, being a part of the community, and of their state of life, to embrace with submission the crosses belonging to that state, and to submit with faith and love to the designs of providence. Providence with a capital P. And all those things that have to be done or suffered without going out of their way to seek occasions for themselves. And he continues and says this, The passive part of sanctity, of holiness, is still more easy, since it only consists in accepting that which we very often have no power to prevent. And in suffering lovingly, that is to say, with sweetness and consolation, these things that too often cause weariness and disgust. Once again, I repeat, and this consists sanctity. And I really think he's talking about suffering lovingly. And I really think our witness as Christians in the world is greatly impacted by the way that we suffer. When things are good, the world doesn't really look at us. But, but when things are going bad, the world looks at us and says, how are you different than me? So my question, one of my questions for today that I would encourage you to think on is what is it in your stage of life that God is asking you to suffer lovingly? Maybe you're divorced or widowed and in the evenings there's just the sense of loneliness that, that creeps in. And maybe God is inviting you to turn to him in that. Maybe you're married and you have young kids and, and there's just so much crying in your house and, you know, if there's one more episode of whatever it show, Paw Patrol, that you're watching, or if they just cry one more time, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, bang my head and I just need some time alone. And maybe God is just saying, invite me into that. And let's do that together. Or maybe uh, you're a student and COVID has just ruined your school year. Maybe God is inviting you to turn to him 
in that. And here's the deal. There's people, and I'm sure you know some of these people in our lives, that are kind of at the end of their life, and they're just very loving, kind, holy people. They just are as close to God as they could be. And when we talk with these people, and they're the type of people we want to be like, we can ask them, okay, well, how is it that you became, became like this? How is it that you became so loving or gentle and kind? And when you ask these questions, you you won't ever hear the answer. Well, I got rich quick, and that really helped my, you know, spiritual journey. That helped me grow. Or I got this job that was easy, and and I floated through life, and, you know, I just had a great life, and it helped me grow in my relationship with Jesus. No, you'll never hear someone say that. But when you talk to those at the end of their life who have grown deeply in their relationship with Jesus— They often say, well, I did all the things that you were supposed to do. You know, read your Bible, go to church, pray, give of my, you know, tithe and offering. But it was really after I went through that really difficult thing in my life. It really hurt me. It really broke me. And I had no other option but to just cling to God. And through that time, he shaped me. And he helped me become more like him. And so in our suffering today, we have a choice. We can choose uh, to go, to to run from God, to externally uh, lash out at others and and create more pain in the world, or we can choose to, in our pain, turn to God and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are King And whatever you want to do in the midst of this, I invite you to do. So the invitation is don't be like Darth Vader, (laughs) right? Don't allow suffering and pain to lead you to the dark side. And I'll invite the musicians forward as this illustration leads us uh, kind of to wrap up. In the 1980s, uh, experiments were being conducted involving Biodome. Biodomes. Essentially, this was an exercise to create a perfect living environment for humans. And so everything that was put into the biodomes was scrutinized for inclusion. Trees, plants, the fruit that was included. These huge glass domes were constructed in the desert. Air and water were purified, and light was filtered to create the ideal growing conditions. Everything was perfect. And so slowly, humans began moving into these biodomes. And they were successful, and everything seemed to, stri- to uh, thrive in this environment. Everything except for the trees. And, and this interesting thing was happening in the biodomes. The trees would grow up, 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 and up, and they reached a certain height, and they would just fall over. And it puzzled scientists. They said, okay, what's happening? And they couldn't figure it out. They grow, 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 and then... They just fall over with no explanation or no reason. And then the scientists figured out that they missed one thing. What was not included in the biodomes was wind. There was no wind. As trees grow out in nature, not in the perfect environment, there are weather conditions that actually strengthen a tree. As saplings grow, they withstand weather challenges and their roots grow deeper into the soil as they fight storms and wind. 
Weather adversity is essential for trees to thrive and grow. Without the wind, the trees grew up and then just fell over. No cause, except that they didn't have wind. So maybe in thinking of that, we can read our scripture again. Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and deep, deep roots. Let perseverance finish its work, that you may be complete, mature and complete, not lacking anything. So my invitation to us today is as we go uh, this week, um, maybe today if you have some time to, to process and think and maybe journal around these couple of questions. What am I doing in terms of my active spirituality in my life? And what am I doing in terms of my passive spirituality in my life? Would you pray with me?